welcome to the Future's Edge podcast. I'm Jim Muriel with the brains behind the operation, Bob Acino. Bobby, how are you? Good to be here, buddy. Good. Um, this was an interesting week, particularly the last two days of some strength in the stock market. The general prevailing theme is that perhaps the Fed isn't going to tighten as much as they kept telling us they were for the last couple of months. What clues has been given to that? What do you think of that? So it's interesting. We do a uh, live stream every day, Path Trading Partners. Uh, it's actually the same YouTube channel that we distribute the show on along with Spotify, which we, we don't do. Just this show is on Spotify. But um, on those live streams, I've been talking about my theory of how the Fed's going to get out of this mess, not without pain, but with no blame, right? Which I'm blaming been, already, by the way, just to yeah, be clear. I, I, but yeah. You've been blaming. I mean, in, in <laughs> fairness, you've been blaming for a long time. Your Twitter is peppered with inflation was deliberate. Always remember that. <laughs> they said it. We need inflation, right? Hey, Amen. It's, it's like, be careful what you wish for kind of a thing. Hey, Amen. Yeah. My, my theory has been they're going to do the 50 base point hikes, the three that they're uh, talking about and then stop and say the supply chain has to do its work now. Like we have to get the supply chain back. And that's not gonna be enough. It's certainly not gonna get us to 2%, which is what their, their target theoretically is. So the theme now, I think, I mean, I've had a couple of people say it to me, is they're for sure doing the 50 in June, but given some of the slowing in the data we've seen, do they do 50 in July? I mean, maybe they do 25 in July and back off, but definitely, as you mentioned, the theme is that they're going to back off much sooner than people were talking about, let's say even a month ago. So here's, here's something that's so interesting about this equation, interesting and potentially destructive and toxic too, which kind of go hand in hand in this situation is that we, they raise rates to start to call demand, to try to get demand into, um, into balance with supply, which means they're actually forcing the economy to slow down. So whether or not they force it into recession, that you can debate about that all you want, but it is an absolute fact, undisputed, that by draining liquidity out of the system, by raising rates, by stopping to buy bonds, they are trying to slow down the economy because that the demand is outstripping supply. And that's why we have the massive inflation. Yeah, just by the way, today, those PCE numbers with 6.3, Less than people thought, which I guess was right. encouraging, but still, you know, basically record eyes. But the point is that the, the, the point I'm trying to make is that if you kill the man, if you can stomp it like a bug, then there's really no, no, no force pulling supply through. So perhaps they're going to have to put up with hopefully not 8% inflation, but perhaps put up with a little bit of inflation because if they kill the man, there's not as much incentive to cure, to cure the supply chain. If demand is still there trying to go after those products, then then it's still there. Do you think, is that the way they look at it? That's the only way to look at it, right? It's really the only way to look at it. Like, I think that's the last part of your statement is like, who could dispute that? How do you look at it any other way when you consider that they can't really control some of the major factors in this particular bout of inflation? The supply chain, they can't do anything about it. The only thing they can do is slow down demand. And yeah, we had an excess of demand based off of people coming out of the pandemic and going absolutely nuts with free money that was given to them by the government. But an interesting part is the uh, stimulus checks that were given out, some were spent and some were saved. And we saw a savings rate ramp up in the US, which we haven't seen for a while. And that savings rate 
is still at high numbers. But, and this, I'm stealing this from our friend Cameron Dawson, who's more my friend than yours, but she's so good, by the way. She was she's the so good, dude. Did you see her recent note? No, no, uh, you send it send, to me. I'll send yeah. it to you. It's 32 pages of just brilliance. But she, um, she talked about how the bottom end of the socioeconomic curve is saving less. They're starting to dip into those savings. And that's the way the saving rate kind of ebbs and flows. And it makes sense logically, right? People who depend are more check to check that save their government stimulus checks now needed to dip into that to deal with inflation. And their savings rate is going down. But the overall savings rate is still relatively high because of the middle, the upper middle, and the wealthy who have massive amounts of savings still. So again, as happens when politics gets involved with economics, the lower end suffers more than the higher end. People blame that kind of stuff on, on capitalism. It's not. It's uh, interference with capitalism that causes that to happen. Oh, there's no question about it. And when you talk about income inequality in this country, which is great, I mean, technology belongs in there, but there's some other things too, not the least of which is the government trying to fix inequality. When they keep rates inorganically low, they fuel this bubble bust sort of thing that's gone on for the last 30 years. And then they look, sit around going, gosh, what should we do to help? What you could do to help is stop helping. Um, if rates went, if, if you allowed, and I, and I genuinely believe, and I don't know if you saw me, I wrote a little bit about this yesterday, is that the Fed exists now to be the bumper rails or the training wheels for an, a, a government that the economy really can't get going based on punitive taxes, punitive regulation, not just at the federal le level, at the state, county, municipal level too. I know this firsthand with the restaurant. I want to get into restaurant discussion a little bit too. But so the Fed has to keep rates inorganically low, which fuels bubble bust, which, it, which makes assets that rich people hold go higher, including the bonds, not just houses and stocks. And it makes the things that people, the poor people need to buy, food and energy, go higher. Granted, we didn't see that in, in earnest until the last couple of years, but it was always going to happen. It just boggles the mind, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. And that's why I think that, you know, you're talking about politicians. If somebody says to me, these are not dumb people, I disagree. But when you're talking about people like Jerome Powell, who actually spend time in the private sector, um, he's not a dumb person. And it's, he's just in a situation, and I'm not saying it's nefarious or not nefarious. I'm just saying he's in such a situation that he had to wait to get nominated and confirmed to do what he really thought he should do. Now, he could have just said, look, this is what I'm doing, nominate me or not. That would have been the courageous thing to do, I think. Um, and I'm not saying he's not courageous. He certainly doesn't seem courageous to me, but he's certainly not dumb. And when I look at it and say, okay, he got himself confirmed, uh, renominated, then confirmed. Now he sits down and says, okay, what if anything can I do about this? And what you described a few minutes earlier is all he can do. Right. So to put what Bobby just said in perspective too, after he got renominated was when the first time he decided to actually uh, talk about being hawkish, hawkish. And then after he got his final confirmation, confirmation the next day was when he started saying, yes, yeah, soft landing might not actually happen. It might right. be, we might be coming in a little hot. So to think that he's not politically motivated is asinine. And I've gotten arguments with people too, who are like, well, he's already rich. Why does he need to, this job? I don't know. But I know it seems like from the, the evidence we've seen that he's clearly politically motivated. Maybe he likes the power. Who cares? Maybe he doesn't like to fail and doesn't like to be fired. And he may have been fired. Um, we, I hit upon a restaurant, restaurants a second ago. And within that PCE, well, the, the inflation data that came out today, there's some interesting things. 
number still 54% of the money spent on food is spent at restaurants. The first, I don't know if you know this, me being in the restaurant business and you having a family in the restaurant business, you probably do. Um, in 2015 or 16 was the first time, probably in the history of man on this planet, that people spend more money at restaurants than they did at the grocery store for food. Um, that's increased right now, despite the fact that prices are going through the roof, people are still going out to eat at restaurants. My theory, and I was just talking to our mutual friend, Scott Shelley and his show out of Nashville about that. I believe that the whole paradigm has shifted is that after being bottled up for a year and a half, some people for two years that we are social animals. People feel that going out, dining with people, being near people is now a emotional necessity to them. And they're willing to part with more money, despite the fact that it's getting up nasty expensive. Do you like that theory? Yeah, I agree hundred percent. So my family in the restaurant business that we've been in it, well, I left it in about 92, but my family was in the restaurant supply and then the restaurant industry my whole life. The difference between your restaurant and say my brother's is a lot of my brother's businesses carry out. Um, the majority of it is still carry out. And he does a lot of catering for parties and car dealerships and things like that. His sit down business is very small. He thrived during the second half of the pandemic, right? When he was able to readjust his business model and say, okay, people are going to be picking up food outside. I need to cut labor a little bit. I need to low, reduce my menu, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden he said, wow, I'm, I'm making more money than I've made in the last 10 years on a year on year basis. Now we come back to where people are actually sitting out. He's never, he's always closed at six o'clock. So he's never had any dinner business. But his sit-down lunch business is thriving. His takeout business at night has suffered. And that's because people are socializing. So it literally plays right into your theory. Yeah. And it's funny that when you talk about the restaurant industry, too, is that, you know, the restaurant industry threw a lot of money in. And I sat down with my partner at the beginning of this whole thing. And I said, realistically, when something like this happens, a shock, a chaotic shock like this, good and successful restaurants are probably going to end up doing great middle of the road, bad restaurants are going to probably be knocked out of the game. Now, I, people might listen to me say that and say like, well, fine, they're not. No, no, it's not fine. The market should let should decide that over time. And perhaps many of those restaurants, given more of an opportunity and a chance, would have developed into something. So the, the, the whole thing has been great for my restaurant. My restaurant's been there since 1931. People go to my restaurant to feel normal. What lacked in the whole last two years was a feeling of normalcy. And so we've thrived. Sounds like your guys thrive too. Um, it's just amazing uh, how it happened. And again, it underscores the point that when there's chaos, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. So if you want to fight inequality, we just cannot have these ridiculous economic shocks too. That goes to the education portion of this too. You know, it, it is absolutely settled science that the poor neighborhoods, minority neighborhoods um, did not do as well with remote learning in schools. Uh, when the government gets involved, that's what, that's what kind of crap happens, right? You know, you mentioned uh, the education part of it. Um, I followed you on Scott's show today. So literally, Scott actually mentioned something you said during an interview that was prior to mine. So he said, oh, this is just like what Jimmy said. So I know that's you. We, him and I were talking about uh, student loan forgiveness and some of the other jobs people can get without going into debt. And the interesting part about government manipulation of systems in general is this idea that they're going to forgive uh, came out in the Washington Post this morning. And just for reference sake, it's the Friday before Memorial Day. So Jimmy and I are doing a shorter show and we didn't want to bother any guests before the holiday. So it allows us to spew on other topics a little bit. The student loan thing 
the $10,000 story that came out in the Washington Post this morning um, applies to about 40% of the people with student loans uh, that have less than $25,000 of student loan debt. It's a big number of people that would get relief from this plan. But what it does in my mind, as I look forward, if this were to become more of a standard thing, a starting average salary of a chemical engineer is about $73,000. The average starting salary for a truck driver in the United States, according to Indeed.com, as of May 12, 2022, is $78,000. Now, if I'm a father of somebody who's about to go into school, by the way, the median salary for a chemical engineer 10 years later only rises about 23%. So they only get to a little, about 106,000, right? I don't know what a truck driver gets to, um, but I know he gets to retirement because he starts that job four to five years earlier than a chemical engineer does. And they've got benefits as well. They've got 401k, they've got healthcare. And if I'm the father of a college age student right now, I say, look, why don't you go for a year, rack up about $10,000 debt, we'll get that forgiven. And then you could start driving a truck at Walmart, which by the way, starts at $85,000 a year. <laughs> $85,000 a year as a 20-year-old. I would have I would have been in a lot of trouble if I had money as a 20-year-old. I would have had a I lot mean, of trouble. Living yeah. at home, a lot of them still. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a crazy amount of money if there's if the kids are have guidance as to what to do with it. Sure. And the whole the whole paradigm is is ridiculous. I when my plumber walks into the bar I own, his name's Kurt Redke. I buy him a beer. He's my freaking hero. And he has one of the nicer houses. He has plumbers who work for him. Um, we, for the last 40 years, acted like raising our young men to be tradesmen was somehow like an insult and they can do better than that. When realistically, the, the plumber, you, you only need a plumber on Christmas Eve when some pipe broke. He literally comes in to save the day. He might as well be wearing a cape. And yet we, for years, have treated them like they were a low rung of society, despite the fact that they made more than us and they did more good. Why in the world wouldn't we have pushed our kids to be tradesmen more? I can't even work a hammer. You know, is it, do you call working a hammer? I don't know, what do you do? Hitting things with the hammer? Yeah, you hit things with a hammer. I don't know, That's I'm not thought. a tradesman. Me neither, right. Plus, by the way, they do a lot of things to their houses that you have to pay people for. Oh, no, no, so literally, yeah. There's a guy down the street from me, he's a retired, um, I believe he's a plumber as well from Philadelphia, right? It's the same house as me, except when you go in, he's got all kinds of custom things that he did inside the house. I'm like, who'd you get to do that? He goes, you're looking at him. Cost him nothing. He just did all the stuff himself. He's yeah. got a water feature in his pool in his backyard that he put together and built. It's amazing. It's an amazing life is my point. Yeah. So, you know, this whole thing of the education side of things, the ROI on college education is dropping like a rock unless you have a very specific skill set, a very specific degrees. And the entire system is turned into a form of when, when people tell me, you know, this has been the excuse when socialists have talked about this before. It's like, show me where socialist has actually socialism has actually worked. And they'll go, well, that's not real socialism anywhere. It hasn't worked, which is everywhere, right? Which is everywhere it's ever been tried. And now people are like capitalism, this capitalism, that I'm like, we are not in a capitalist society right now. No, by any not strength. at all. So you know what the one of the most capitalist things we still have is the markets. So I want to ask you a question, my friend, because I'm the co-host. So you're my guest and I'm your guest. Damn straight. Um, bottom in in the equities is the bottom in. Again, we're recording okay. uh, it's half day today. Was it a half day today? It's half day in yeah. the futures. And yeah, so, but no, the, the stocks are still open. 
Yeah. Okay, so it's Friday, uh, the 27th, before Memorial Day. We've got Monday closed, bonds and equities. Uh, do we put in a bottom or no? Okay, I think there's about a 30 to 40% chance that we did. For three months, Good. What the beginning with this started, I, I kept saying, and, and there's video evidence of this, I believed we need a minimum of 20% correction in the S&P. It's, it's just a reval based mm -hmm. on rates reevaluating. A couple things have changed. First, from a fundamental standpoint, as we hit before, the Fed is we anticipate them to start talking a lot less hawkishly in the next right. couple of days. We right. anticipate them to perhaps, I think, two more 50 basis point hikes and then a pause to see if perhaps they're in the neutral rate. And I do the quotation the way, marks. Before, those... before you go on, do we have evidence of them doing that or are you and I just speculating basically the same thing? Well, Rafael Bostic last week um, in the Atlanta non Fed president, non-voting member, but mm -hmm. at a planned event said, Perhaps I think she said perhaps after um, after in September we will sit back and see and look to see where things are. Right. Now here's what's interesting about that to me is that hell yes they should be doing that after at every moment they should be doing that and it's just part of the whole you know being nimble responding to the data thing. But the fact that he said it at a planned event to me I think means he was wound up go out there and say this and try to plant the first seed. So, mm -hmm. so to answer your question, there has been scant evidence, but not no evidence that I believe they are changing mentally. Makes sense? It does. It, it really does. From my perspective, I've been telling, um, again, the people who watch our live stream and the people that watch this podcast, that my prediction was a medium term bottom was coming soon. And I wasn't willing to, to predict when it was. Two days ago on our live stream, I said it's starting to feel like the bot, the medium term bottom has happened based off of price action. I mean, it just seemed like there was a floor. You would see the equities go down and rally up into the close, maybe not turn positive, but still rally up. There are a couple of days where we turn positive. That's what a bottom feels like, right? But I call it medium term because I think they're going to do exactly what you just said and they're going to be wrong. Um, earnings are going to suffer because they've already done enough. And by the way, I shouldn't say them, but with two more 50 basis point rate hikes coming as late as, they, as they've come, uh, I am a firm believer we're going into recession. I'll disagree with our, friend, with our friend Ryan Dietrich, who was on a couple of weeks ago on our show, who tweeted out the other day, I can't see a recession with retail sales this strong and employment this strong. Retail sales inflation adjusted were negative and employment lags by about six months. Yeah, no, I'm with you on the recession thesis too. I don't think, I think that when we look at the recession after the real estate bubble collapse, the recession after the um, tech bubble collapse, I think there was massive built up leverage. Let's take a look at the real estate uh, bubble first, is that anecdotally, you would sit at the table and talk to some guy who was a plumber, well, no, let's talk, not talk about plumber. Plumber's a star, <laughs> in my opinion. You know, someone who, whatever kind of job he was, and had five homes that he was uh, rehabbing and flipping. Right. I don't, I see plenty of people who have two homes. I don't see a lot of people who took the bait on this last couple of years and bought right. a crap ton of homes. I do see that 18 to 20% of the new homes bought in the last two years were bought by, uh, invet by corporate investment interests, and BlackRock responds to a margin call different than Bobby Iacchino or Jim Uriel. Uh, uh, response to a margin call. So I don't think it's going to be any sort of like, oh my God, what just happened? Collapse of our economy. I do think we're heading into a bit of a recession too. And that being said, if we head into a bit of a recession, that doesn't necessarily mean the stocks have to uh, have to crumble. The stocks could have already maybe flashed that recession with the 20 
slash 31% loss in the, in the NASDAQ. So that's why I'm encouraged as well. Now let's get to the technical part of it too. We had a higher weekly, we're gonna have a higher weekly close today. I know we're still an hour away, but mm -hmm. unless, um, unless things get knocked to pieces, let's see. Yeah, we're still relatively strong. That 4,100 level in the S&P was a good level. Um, if I see strength on Monday and Tuesday above where we close today, I will be about 60% sure that, um, that we are, we've hit the bottom for now. And again, we have a lot, people say the bear market, and you've said it yourself, it's the bear market's not over until we make new all-time highs. That's fine. There's a lot of room between here and the all-time highs for people to make money. Uh, and you know we'll we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Can I get to my uh, my ES trade now? You think? Or yeah, not? sure. Because it, it fits right in. Okay, and sure. I put on something similar to this using options. But and this is again one of the beauties of the micros is that you can put on a broad yeah the broad a broad trade and not have to worry about minute to minute noise. Now this is a pretty broad trade. So it's buying the June micro E mini S and P. You know, micro S&P at 41.10. Now we're a little bit above that now. I think you could go up a little higher too, although I do expect and hopefully a little bit of a pullback to where mm -hmm. we broke out of this from and that was 4,100. Buy it there, target a 42.90 on the upside. You remember we talked about that 4,300 level a couple of weeks yep. ago and we had Mike Carnell on the show, who's a brilliant technician. We talked about that level and how significant it was. A downside, a stop on the downside of 39.90. Now, if you take, if, if this trade, if you reach your target, you make 900 bucks on the upside. And if you get stopped out, you lose 600 bucks. Again, by the way, this trade can be made and still you can think to yourself that we might still be in a bear market. It just be a, it might be a bear market ripper rally. Thoughts? Yeah, I love it. If you look at the ES, if we close, um, actually this will reference back to what Mike Arnold said on that show. And if you guys didn't watch that show, you still can because he does an entire month. We're gonna have him on the first Friday of every month. And he was spot on about this. If we close above 40.95, that triggers a double bottom. Okay. And it's a technically correct double bottom. And on that technically correct double bottom, my first target on that is 43.18. I'm going to go a little bit lower because the May highs, the May 5th highs came in right around 4,300. So I'll do 4,300, but that plays into your trade perfectly. I think it's a, I think it's an excellent, excellent trade. And I think it has a very high probability of working. And because I didn't say a hundred percent chance of working, the risk reward <laughs> is what you look at it. It's got very good risk reward. Okay, good. And okay. If you go back to our show a week ago, we talked yeah. about interest rates and I gave a trade that's working now in the 10 year. I'm, I'm not as much going to talk about my trade in the Canadian dollar, which seemed great for a couple of days. Which, by the way, actually, let's hit that. As long as we're talking about trading right now. Yeah, so let's Canadian talk about dollar, that. The Canadian dollar trade, you, I had 40 ticks in on it. I ended up losing money and reversing it at my stop out level. Now I've mm -hmm. made some money on the upside then too. But so what do you think? Like that trade, we get, you had 40 ticks in it. Do you move your stop to break even? You don't, right? You just leave your parameters the way they were, correct? So I always work with a target and you always give us a target on this show. Um, one thing I, I, I like to tell people is a target is a place where an action is needed. It doesn't necessarily mean you cover the trade. Okay. Um, so what I do, for example, I said that I'm going to hit that if I were to go long. Yes, I didn't. I'm just looking at that now. And I, maybe I will uh, before the market closes because we're going to close above a significant double top or double bottom trigger. But having said that, 
the first target for me on that particular double on the ES, for example, would be a place to move a stop simply because I've got another target even higher than that. So if I've got a multiple target trade, um, I will move a stop at a target. I also have some momentum indicators. And if I see the momentum building as we move to my target, rather than exit, I will trail a stop. So it really depends on the trade. So yes, I'll, I'll do that in a lot of things. And actually, I've done it in the crude oil trade from last week. Um, I've moved my stop higher. But in the same time I've done that, I've also added to it in options. So that's another thing I'll do is I'll add to it in options. The options trade's already working. And then I'll tighten up my stop because I don't, now that I know I have a more exaggerated position, I don't want the loss to exceed what my original loss was in the first place. So that's another time when I'll do it. I've added to the trade. Why well, don't want to increase my losses because the, the desired risk at the beginning of the trade never changes for me. That's the can one you, thing that never changes. Can you go in to what your trade was from last week and yeah. then why you, and can you tell, I, I'm putting my feet way up here. Is that okay? Do I look like yeah. I think I'm Mr. Cool Guy, just too relaxed here? You just look relaxed. I mean, you okay, got a long cool. weekend coming up. Damn straight. Can you go into it? Yeah. So I bought my, a micro crude at 190.60. I'm sorry, 109.60. Okay, that was a micro crude trade. My stop was going to be all the way down to 102.59, which we didn't get anywhere near that. As a matter of fact, after getting in this trade, um, we pretty much went, I don't want to say straight up because it wasn't an aggressive move like you're used to seeing in crude oil, but it never got anywhere near giving me any indication that we were going to go down seven handles on this thing to get near my stop. And my target on this one was 123.70. That's a Mike Arnold level, by the way. So for this particular trade, we're now trading about 114 and change. Uh, last I looked, I think we're about 114.33 or something. So I'm in that at 109.60. It's a pretty profitable trade at this point. Um, the potential profit on this was 1400 and the potential risk was 701. So I'm about a quarter, maybe a little bit more than that, almost halfway to the target now. So I saw momentum gaining based off of an indicator. Now the volume is not there to confirm that for me. The volume has actually been declining in crude oil. The volume has been high on the downside, low on the upside, which is not a very, it doesn't make you very comfortable, right? But we're, we're getting close to closing above a horizontal channel. As a matter of fact, if you'll allow me, I'm gonna share my screen real quick. We are going high tech here, brothers. We are going high tech. All right, let me pull up my chart really quick on a screen share. All right, tell me when you're seeing it. I, I do not. Okay, let me see what's going on here. And it says I'm sharing it, but you're not seeing no, it. I see it. Oh, you're seeing it. Okay, good. Yeah, it's great, yeah. Let me move us out of the way here. So what I've got here is- you turn the recording back on? I did, yes. Okay, good. All right, so man, now I better check just to make sure. I think I did. All right, Nader, edit all this garbage out. <laughs> I like the garbage, I think it can stay. <laughs> Nader, leave all this garbage out. <laughs> I did, I, I know I did. I can't find it now, but I know I did. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, I did. Okay, so. 
What we've got here is a crude oil daily chart. And you can clearly see two things going on. Here's the recent price action. Let me drag it this way a little bit. These red lines right here are the horizontal channel that we're currently in, okay? The blue lines represent the upward sloping channel that we've recently created. Now it was a lower trend line anyway, right? But then right around here at about April 18th or so, we started to run within this channel, but still within the bigger horizontal channel, right? So yeah. my trade was going back into this little rotation zone, which it made up of these two moving averages. And you can see they're starting to widen and angle up. And when that happens, I will take a trade into that rotation zone. You can see it could, I could have gone as low as 108.64, but I bought really at 109.60. Um, and then these two days happened, right? We kind of moved up and ramped up in here. Now, what I did when I bought here and I saw this move come in is I went into the options. I said, I'm going to add to this. So I've since actually moved my stop from this level of uh, 102.59 up to where you see this red line right here, which is about 108.54 or 108. I'll tell you exactly what it is. I don't want to open up my system here. It is at 108.49. So my stops around 108.40 now. So it's a little bit below this peak here and a little bit below this little cluster of lows here. And when I did that, I drastically reduced my risk on the trade from the $700 range to about the $300 range. So now mm -hmm. I have more risk. So what I did was I bought the 114 calls and I paid 320 for those. Now on the standard options, that's basically, you know, it's 100, it's 3,200 or 320 on the micro options, I should say, would be $320 on the standards, 3,200, right? So these particular calls I, is what I'm going to hold if we get to my target on the futures trade. Okay, so we get to the target on the futures trade. I'm going to cover that and I'm going to hold the options either till expiration or until crude oil decides it's going to make a move lower or until we just don't get anywhere near. I'm already in the money on them because they're 114s. So now they basically act like another future. I right? delta somewhere around, what would it be, around 90 at least. Yeah, right. So now they what, what is the expiration? Uh, it's the third week of June. Okay, yeah. So I'm in the money in the third week of June. These are basically the futures now. Right, that's yeah, a futures yeah. contract. So that's what I did on this particular trade. So the crude oil trade is working. I obviously needed to extend, but I've already cut my risk in half on this. And I did this in part because of the support here and because the rotation zone, because it's moving average, they're moving average based, are moving higher. So it ends up being kind of a dynamic stop level for me. I like it a lot. Yeah, so, so that's that makes a ton of sense idea. to me. Yeah. Now I, I like to point one more thing out, and this is again, uh, not stolen from Mike Arnold because we work together, but if I put these harmonics in place, right? Notice right here is the 75% level, which comes in mm -hmm. at about 121.11. It's right below where I had labeled my target. So I'll change my target to 121.11 based on Mike's harmonics, because if I can get a close above this 114.93 level, that has a very high probability, higher than 70% of hitting the 75. So that's where I'll now exit the future, knowing that I've got the calls in place to continue a move higher if it happens. I like that a lot. Wow, that's a good trick. And again, I, you know, you know, I love using options. I, I prefer using options. I prefer mm -hmm. the 100% defined risk. Um, but I mean, you know, I use futures quite a bit too. Um, I want to move to rates for a second, because when we were talking, um, a week ago, 
I thought rates were going lower, but it didn't know why I thought rates were going lower because the, the tech technicals of it were pointing to that, but still the story hadn't really changed. And then early in this week is when that big day came where essentially the Fed funds market had been pricing in a 40% chance that by July of 2023, Fed funds rate would be 3.5 or higher. Basically in one or two days, they took that almost all the way out. Um, now it's like a 4% chance uh, that that'll happen. And, but anyway, this was last Friday when I talked about this trade. So it's funny to me, and I, I know it's interesting to you too, how this, the, the market started to move before the story started to unfold. And that's why we're technical traders more because we'll find the story. As long as the fundamental story that I'm seeing at the moment doesn't 100% conflict what I'm trying to do, then, then the technicals are more important, right? Yeah, I mean, price action essentially, I, I said this is gonna sound weird, but I like the analogy. Price action is like tight clothing, right? Of which- You know more I'm, about tight clothing yeah, than anybody. I wear a lot of tight clothing as, a member <laughs> of, as an official member of Eagle Fang Karate. Um, <laughs> you can see what's underneath it by looking at the clothing. You almost don't have to see the clothing come off. That's a weird analogy, but it really works. <laughs> I right? kind of like it. Fun, if we were fundamental drunk, analysis, fabulous. <laughs> fundamental analysis is like loose clothing, okay? you get kind of an idea what's going on, right? But you can't really see. Now, the reason I use that analogy is you and I both in private conversations said the same thing, sometimes using different words. I think this is what the market is going to think coming soon. But we have no idea if we pull that out of our asses or if that particular narrative is going to grab hold of the market because at the end of the day, market pricing is mob rule. Right. I mean, if enough people believe a narrative, it's going to trade that way, whether that narrative is correct or not. Uh, we see that in stocks all the time with some of these high flyers that people just get out of their minds about. And then they end up buying a mine, a gold mining company instead of actually doing movies. These kinds of things happen all the time. You might know what I'm talking about. I, I do know what you're talking about. But so, <laughs> from a perspective of that, we, we, that's why fundamentals are not a good way for an individual to trade. They're really not. Because the only thing you know with 100% certainty that is true is that crude oil traded through 114 today. You know that's true. It is not false. It's not opinion. It's not speculation. It happened. So if you can base your trading off of things that you know to be true, you have a much better chance of finding a method that's going to work for you. Now, your, your price action could back up your fundamentals. And this is why I work so closely with Mike Arnold because I'll have an idea and he'll just go, no, absolutely not, not now, not yet. He won't tell me it's wrong. Those are something I can't do it. If I showed you a Chipotle chart, I'll show you all the places I told him I wanted to buy Chipotle after the scare. After, I don't remember what the scare was, it was foodborne illness, right? And it just yeah. kept, I wanna buy it. I see lines at the restaurant, no, no, no. No, no. One day, Mike Arnold, Arnold called me. He's like, you still want to buy Chipotle? I'm like, well, not really. I haven't looked at it in a while. A couple of weeks later, I look, boom, <laughs> it's gone. That's hysterical. And that's true. And I, I love that. And again, I'll put a finer point on what, what you said is what Eugene Fama won a uh, Nobel Prize for like efficient market theory, meaning that at any one moment in time, a well heavily traded market knows everything. 
So that's why if you're sitting in front of your computer and you see a fundamental story, you think you're the first person who, who noticed that fundamental story. Um, no, you're not at all. Um, that's why price action is much more important. Again, I like fundamental analysis. I'm not dogging it. For me, it's about 35% uh, of uh, my decision-making, but price is much more important. But anyway, onto the- It's where we get a lot of our ideas is from fundamental analysis. And then we go look at the chart. Then we go look at the chart. Yeah, absolutely. So it's I critical. Like yeah, it's critical. Absolutely. That's a good point. That's a great point because I didn't think it that way. And that's the way I do it all the time. Mm -hmm. I, get, uh, I get that. And by the way, there's a guy who's on Twitter and I'm going to mention his name. It's Keith Kern. K Kern is his Twitter mm -hmm. handle. And he posts some on the upside with some great charts on stocks, individual stocks, which we're not talking about here. And I won't mention any chat. We're talking about futures here, but some yep. great charts. And some of those individual stocks seem to, to, to deal with technicals even better than the big broad markets, I think. And that guy's made me a lot of money. I owe him and maybe we should have to get him on this uh, show one time and talk about it and see if he can I'd do futures that. with his charts. But um, anyway, so anyway, so we went to a week ago where I wanted to sell the tenure. I didn't actually make this trade in the name of full transparency. That's just because I get I got so many things on my board and I got my client business that I forgot to make it. And this is the <laughs> trade that I will make again uh, if, if it gets there, we're where are we right now in the 10 year, uh, the, the June micro 10 year uh, yield contract is trading about 273. I need to see a little bit lower because it's a stop in trade. We've talked about this before. We've gone yeah. over and over about price being the indicator. So sometimes price has to break through a level of support for me to think it's going to accelerate from there. It's somewhat counterintuitive for people to think I want to sell it at a lower price than it is now, but that's sometimes the way we do it. So I think two, uh, two spots, seven, two spots is a, a point to sell the June micro uh, yield contract. And again, it's the same target as last week when I talked about selling it at 283, which is two and a half. Uh, two and a half is a psych nice psychological level. Um, and again, as Bobby said before, as it gets close, you can reevaluate it, go do a deeper dive into the technicals. But some of those big round numbers in 10 year tend to have some magnetic power. The stop for this one for me is 290, two spot 91 above. So that mm -hmm. trade makes 220 bucks. If you hit your target, loses 190 if you're stopped out at your level per one lot in the June micro tenure. Thoughts? Tenure is closing at the lowest level since like early April. Um, looking at it right now, we had a 242 settlement on April 4th. We had a 274 settlement on April 15th. Um, I like looking at the settlements on the yields. And the fact that we settled, well, we're not settled yet, I guess, but the fact that we uh, look like we're going to settle below two and a quarter on this one, um, I like it. And I think 250 is a really good level because psychological levels and yields to me work better than any other product. I don't even know why. You know, it's funny. I thought that exact same thing. And I don't, I don't even know. know why. It's just because we've been around too long, right? And then we've seen I it guess because I, my first Fed rate hike ever, or rate cut ever was 25 basis points. My first rate hike in my career was 25 basis points. They just yeah. like these chunks of 25 for some reason. So maybe that's where it reverberates from. They go 25s and 50s. Mm -hmm. They go round numbers in the in the uh, short part of the curve. And maybe that just reverberates psychologically through the rest of the curve. I don't know why, but I agree with you 100%. Yeah, the only place you see those weird yields are in actual bonds. Like you can go buy a corporate bond and it'll have a 4.18, you know, uh, right. coupon on it. And that's basically because the company's trying to squeeze that every last dime that they can, which damn, makes sense. Damn straight. Yeah. Damn straight. Right. <laughs> All right, tell no. me about your weekend. What are you doing? 
we've got friends in town, actually. Uh, they are landing in about 30 minutes and staying over at the Ritz here in Naples. So uh, I'm going to actually- Which Ritz? The one on the beach? Which, no, which the Tiburon. The one on the beach was all booked up, which oh, you can't nice. believe. I mean, you want to talk about a, a high-end consumer. The Ritz on the beach has been booked up for as long as I can remember, and it's $1,600 a night. That's I mean, a great spot, insane. though, isn't it? Oh, it's a great yeah. spot, but it's just insane. Yeah. I want to, I want to, here, here's the thing. You want to so talk more about markets? <laughs> no, 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 I'm not. <laughs> I'm actually done. There's two things I wanted to point out today. And this actually, I love this quote because it applies to politics. It applies to what we just talked about on fundamentals versus technicals. Okay. And it also a little bit for me applies to life in general. And it's a Thomas Sowell quote, which he's, he's my favorite economic author by without far. any doubt my yeah. by far my favorite but anyway, I, yeah. I read a milton friedman book and i wish i could have seen milton friedman speak because i think he was a more entertaining speaker than soul but i think soul is a better writer um thomas soul writes some things are believed because they are demonstrably true but many other things are believed simply because they have been asserted repeatedly and repetition has been accepted as a substitute for evidence this happens in the markets all the time. When you hear people buying something, you're saying, this is what's happening. I know this is happening. This is going to happen. And they get other people on the bandwagon. And then eventually the truth comes out and that particular trade doesn't work. And usually the early people see some penny stocks a lot. The early people are out and the other people are left holding the bag. And we see this in markets all the time, but it's in politics more than anywhere, right? No doubt something about it. Facts because they're demonstra demonstrably true by evidence. Other things are just repeated. No doubt about it. So funny because it reminds me of, let's just say a, a random television station that I may have done some things for in the past who <laughs> tends to, to pump things up. And I remember one of, uh, I'll tell a couple of little things. I don't know what television station that is. It's I don't either. <laughs> but I remember an executive producer saying to me, no, just because something is true doesn't mean you can say it. And I said, no, no, it does. <laughs> it does mean I can say it. And I can say it loud and repeatedly. And I did say this also. And I said, my, I'm not saying my integrity is not for sale. I'm just saying you're two zeros too short. <laughs> I thought that was I thought that was funny. They By the way, think it was that's funny. also demonstrably true. <laughs> demonstrably true. Right. I'm expensive. You're but expensive. I'm for sale. <laughs> you'll do it. <laughs> The other thing I want to do, because we're filming before Memorial Day, I don't know uh, when this is going to be out. It may be out on Memorial Day, maybe out on Tuesday. But um, I wished somebody a happy Memorial Day earlier today. Oh, and this particular person, you you know, person is, corrected me and said that it's not really happy if you think about it. And he said, I just just tell me to enjoy the long weekend and to raise a glass to all the people this day is particularly supposed to be about. So I'm going to go with that at the end of this. Yeah, podcast. I love it. So I'm going to just By the say, way, that, that flip off, I was, it was a joke. It's not for Memorial Day at all. It was the person who chooses to correct people all the time. When I that's also, I think you know who the guy was. So, <laughs> oh, I know for sure. And I love him. Love yeah. him. He's a friend. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. I want to I do want you to have a happy weekend. happy weekend and give, you know, I'm from a military family. I, I, nobody, nobody died in battle, but, uh, it's a serious thing to me, but I do intend on having a happy weekend, full trans transparency. Yeah, yeah. I, have a, I have a friend who's in Iraq right now. So um, he's on my mind. And again, Think anybody in military families or anything, 
from both of us, I want to say, you know, have a good long weekend and we'll be raising a glass. And if you pray, Amen. say a prayer as well. I don't do that much. Amen, anymore. brother. All um, right. Have a great, have a great weekend. Okay. Cheers, brother. See you, my friend.